Just want to welcome you in. If you're new in, uh, welcome to Revive Church. Really, really great to have you with us. We're in um, week four of an eight-week series where we've been just um, kind of unpacking what we call the foundational values of the church, who we are, who we are as, as Revive Church, but actually who we are as followers of Jesus. There are principles Jesus left for us to follow, and we've been taking some, some time out to look at, okay, who is it we are called to be um, according to Jesus, according to the word of God? What is our culture as a church, but actually as Christians? A couple of years ago uh, during lockdown, we, we wrote this book. And, and this book's a great outline. If you want to know who we are as a church in a really kind of short, compact way, um, it's all in here. This tells us who we are where we came from and where we believe we're going. Um, it talks about who Jesus has called us to be. Um, it also talks about how we steward money, how we're organized kind of in our church governance. So if you've never seen one and you want one, uh, please do take one. They're at the back for you. Um, and I want to cover two topics this morning, if I can. Uh, two principles, two characteristics of followers of Jesus that are separate, but actually fit together really, really well. And I can see you've seen the slide. I can see some of you have already raised 12 inches on your seat because you sat on your wallets. Um, because the first principle is financial giving. Uh, it is where we, are, we, we, we commit to support the church financially. The next one is this, and I think these go together, by the way, because the next one is extravagant worship. It's a commitment to placing God first, in all things, giving him my best. And, and I want to suggest they are very, very closely linked because our giving is part of our worship. That's why we sing when we give because it is part of our worship. And I'll just tell you now, this is not a money message because I can see the shift in the seats and I can see some people glazing over, all right? This is not a money message. We're not going to take a special offering. We're not, we're not into that. We're not going to kind of ask you to give more but what I want to show you is, is whether we, we give, whether it's financial or whether it's using our time or using our gifts, it's all worship. Yeah. One way of saying worship is worth shit. It is giving God what he's worth. Can I tell you, church, God's worth our best. Yeah. He's worth the best of my time. He's worth the best of my abilities. He's worth the best of my finances. He's worth the best of everything that I've got. And, and just by the way, Jesus spoke about money more than he talked about prayer. Jesus talked about money more than he talked about prayer, faith, or even heaven. It all, out of all the parables Jesus taught, a quarter of them about, are about money. There's 331,000 verses just over in, in the entire Bible. 2,000 of them talk about money. The word, that's about 6% of the Bible talks about money, by the way. In, in fact, if you do a study on the word give, and I've given you the numbers, the word give comes up 2,161 times. That's more than you find the word believe more than you find the word pray, and more times than you find the word love. Do we think giving's important to God? So, so if God thought it was important to talk about, then maybe we should too. But I want you to, to hear my heart in this because I know money is a delicate subject. And I'll, I'll be honest, this is probably the message I'm most nervous about. Because I don't like talking about money, but if God talks about money, then maybe we should. But Proverbs says this, honor the Lord with your wealth, and with the best part of everything you produce. We give because we're honoring God. And we give him the best part of everything we produce. So we honor him with the best of our time, the best of our talents, the best of our treasures. We honor God with the best of what we've got. The NIV says this, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all your crops. 
And we, we can serve and we can give our time, and we'll, we'll come on to that in a minute. But, but this passage does specifically refer to, to wealth. So there is a principle of honoring God with our money. It's just there, we can't get away from it. And Billy Graham once said this, a checkbook is a theological document. Anyone remember checkbooks? Maybe we change it to, to bank statements or something. But, but it's interesting because he says a checkbook is a theological document because it tells you who and what you worship. That's the moment I just drop the mic and walk away. <laughs> but maybe it's an exercise some of us need to do. is Let's pull out our bank statement and say, okay, hang on, hang on. What am I worshiping here? What am I, what am I putting more honor on? What am I putting more kind of... More, more, more resources to rather than God. In the Old Testament, they were guided by the law, uh, and, and the law said this. God said to the people, set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. You know, the Bible calls God the Lord of the harvest. He's in charge of the harvest. The Bible says the earth is God's and everything in it, it says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So everything's God's anyway. And he gives us 100% and he says, hang on, will you honor me with 10? And we get to keep the rest. He says, bring this tithe to the designated place of worship. Bring it to the place where you've been planted, where you've been put to worship. Then place, uh, and, and, and look at this, and eat it there in his presence. So you get to use it in his presence. You bring it and you get to use it. And just to help you, there's a difference between tithes and offerings, by the way. A tithe is 10%. It's the first 10% of your income. Whatever God's giving you is, is 10%. And, and, and an offering is what you give over and above that 10%. That's what, that's what the Bible teaches. But it says the first 10% belongs to God. And it's a principle that me and Hannah have lived by ever since we, we were married. And I know many of you live by it on the, on the first First day of the month, 10% of our salary goes straight back into church. 10% of Hannah's salary goes straight into church. And, and as a church, we tithe. We can't ask you to tithe unless we're tithing. So as a church, we tithe. If you were here in Vision Night back in September, we, we, we always share, okay, what's come in, what's gone out. And, and we always set aside 10% to go out to mission, always. As a principle that we set, the 10% of everything that comes in, goes out into mission, and, and, and that's kind of our, our principle. Do you know what we gave last year was we gave over 20% to missions and evangelism. So, so our baby bank, our uniform bank, our food parcels, our shopping vouchers, our Easter and Christmas gifts we give to local schools, and we, we never publicize any of that because it's not about us. But that's our tie. That's our gift back to the kingdom. Because we do it, because we, why do we do it? Because we're called to be on mission. Jesus gave us the great commission. It wasn't the great suggestion. He said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, and, and we do that with our resources. And just to be clear, just kind of on, on a governance point of view, as a, as a church, we don't receive any money from the government, from the Welsh government, any other organization, we don't receive any money. Everything you see is paid for by you. Is paid for by your generosity. And, and if I can add this, because I, um, I know Sue and Richard would love me for this, but if you can add gift day to your giving, uh, that makes a massive difference to us. It turns £100 into £120 with no cost to anyone but the government. And actually, the way we manage our finances is, 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 is the way we buy things for ourselves, we only use or we try as, as hard as we can to only use gift aid money. 
So the money you give goes to mission. The money you give goes to the, the work of the church. Kind of the gift day, the extra goes to the kind of aesthetics. That makes sense. Because we just think it's a wise way to do it. So if you can gift aid, that will really help us because actually means we've got more to give to missions, more to give to outreach, more to give to, to blessing our community. There's another part of the Bible where a guy called Malachi says this. He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Why? So there'll be food enough in my temple. Who's the food for? It's for the people of God. It's for the people to share in God's presence. And, and he says, if you do that, I'll open the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. There's a, there's a blessing that comes with giving. And, and God says, do you know, hey, hey, try it. Try being generous and see what happens. And it's not about money, by the way. Try being generous with your time and see what happens. Try being generous with your talents and just see what God does in your life. Proverbs says this, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. God will make your world bigger if you give him more of you. There's a picture, I just want to show this picture up because I think it just sums this verse up. Because I think you can work out which person is which. Because I would suggest the people in the front, they're the generous people. Because their world is getting bigger. Their world is exciting. Their world is full of fun. They're not holding on. They're letting go. Where are you sat? Are you going to throw your hands in the air and say, God, it's yours. Make my life bigger. Make my life more exciting. Make my world bigger. God, I am letting go. Or are we going to be third row people? You know those seagulls in, um, is it Finding Nemo? Mine? 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 Their world's not getting bigger. What I love about this picture as well, it doesn't affect the people on the front row. People on the front row carrying on whatever. Um, and, and you might be here thinking, well, you know, tithing's law and, it, and it's Old Testament. And, and you're right. It is law. It's, it's Old Testament. But Jesus said this, I came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. I didn't come to get rid of it, but I want you to, I want to fulfill it because I want you to want to. Don't do it because you have to. Do it because you've got a desire to. Do it because you've got a passion to give. So we don't have to give anything. That's why we take an offering. It's not a demand. Can you imagine next Sunday we say, right, we're going to sing a song and then we're going to do, do, do our demand. It's an offering because we want to give. So it's an Old Testament law, yes, but it's a New Testament principle. Someone once said this, the value of life isn't determined by how much I achieve or accumulate, but how much of my life I give away. At the end of your life, no one is going to remember how big your bank balance was. They'll remember how big your heart was. They'll remember how much time you gave them. They'll remember how much you used your gifts to help other people. They'll remember how much you put others before yourself. I've never seen a gravestone with an amount on it. But I've seen many gravestones where we talked about how much people loved other people and how much people gave to other people. As a part of Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, where he's talking about generosity, and he's talking about the generosity of another church, a church in Macedonia. He says this, that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently, look at this line, they pleaded with us for the privilege 
Giving's a privilege. And they exceeded our expectations. And this is the key line here. They gave themselves first of all to God. That's the attitude, is, is God first. God's going to get my first. God's going to get my best. And then what happens? Everything else flows from that. There's a preacher in the 1920s called John Bonnell. Uh, lived through the New York Stock Exchange crash, lived through the, the, the Wall Street crash, 1929, uh, the, the Great Depression. He said this, so there was no money anyway, and he said this, if you can give yourself to God first, everything else is easy. If you can put God first in your finances, put God first in your diary, put God first in your thoughts, put God first in how you choose to use your talents, then using them for others actually just becomes second nature. You can just do it. Paul goes on in this letter, he says, you must decide in your heart how much to give. It's a heart question. Decide in your heart. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. We're not here to pressure you, but because God loves a cheat, he says, do this out of your heart. Do this because you want to, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left to share with others. He says this, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread. It all comes from God anyway. And it says, he'll provide and increase your resources. And then, and I love this line, produce a great harvest of generosity in you so that you'll be enriched in every way so you'll be always be generous. He'll give you more so you can be more generous. I want to finish with one last passage just to help us with this. Luke chapter 7, we read the, the, the narrative of, of, of Jesus. He's, he goes into a Pharisee's house. And as I, as I start to unpack this passage, you might think, hang on, I've read this before because there's a parallel passage in Mark. Um, but in Mark's passage, it's slightly different because in Mark's passage, it happens at the end of Jesus' ministry. And we think it's Mary comes and she pours oil onto Jesus' head. Here, we're in Luke at the start of Jesus' ministry. And this woman comes and pours oil on Jesus' feet. They're two separate stories, two different events. And it says this, that he sat to dinner and, and, and Jesus goes, goes into the house and then a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was sitting there. She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. She knelt behind him at his feet weeping. Her tears fell on his feet. She wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When we look at this passage, there's three principles uh, here that I think are are about worship. The first is worship's intentional. Worship is something we choose to do. It says that when she heard he was eating there, she brought this jar. She, she heard Jesus was near and she made a point of being there. She found out what was going on and she made sure she was part of it. She came ready. She came prepared. This is not kind of an emotional response. It's not a random response. It's not spontaneous. She's really intentional and deliberate. I want to be there. She thought this through. Can I, can I tell you, church, our decision to worship is intentional. It is it's deliberate. That, that whatever we're going through, we make a decision to worship. We make a decision to put God first. We make a decision to, be, to center our life around God, that I'm going to put myself exactly where I need to be and I'm, I'm going to honor God with what he's blessed me with. I remember listening to another pastor who, who had done a message on, on, on giving and he got kind of caught by one of his church members at the back and they were talking about tithing and this church member said this and he said, the only way I could do this is if I rearranged my whole life around God. Yeah. 
The second thing is this, that worship's expensive. It says she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. This was an expensive gift. But because her eyes are fixed on Jesus, she's not focused on the expense. She's not focused on, on how much this thing cost her. She's focused on Jesus. And if you look at this story, it, it might imagine she's, she's going over, over, the, over the top a little bit. If you, if you look at the, the, the narrative in Mark, they say this perfume, and I know it's a different story, but they say this perfume is worth over a year's wages. Now, I want you to imagine your salary. Imagine your salary as perfume. And pouring the whole thing over someone's feet. I got a bottle, I got a bottle of perfume to show you. This is um, Famine Palace perfume. It's three thousand pounds a bottle. It's about that big. One of the most expensive perfumes in the world. Can you imagine buying that? Going into Harrods or going into, to be honest with the prices, Sainsbury's. Um, Imagine buying that. Other supermarkets are available if you're watching online. You buy that three grand of perfume and you pour it on someone's feet. Now imagine doing that with 20 grand's worth of perfume. 30 grand, 50 grand's worth of perfume. Whatever your salary, imagine that amount of money bottled and you pour the lot. Why would you do it? Can I suggest the cause is greater than the cost? The, 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 the glimpse of Jesus this woman has, has caught, has brought her to a place where the cost doesn't matter because she lives for the cause. And, and when we take our eyes off the cause, everything becomes a cost. It's a cost on my time. It's a cost on my energy. It's a cost on my resources. But when we fix our eyes on Jesus, this isn't expensive at all. When we get a glimpse of Jesus and, and all he's done for us, our response is not, oh, it's going to cost loads. Our response is, why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I do this? Why wouldn't I, I put him at the center of my life? Why wouldn't I give him everything? After all Jesus has done for me, why wouldn't I give him everything? Why wouldn't I respond to his extravagant grace by giving him a bit of my time? There's no getting away from the perfume that was expensive, and, and our time is expensive, I get that. But, and Jesus actually alludes to the cost, but he says, listen, it was worth it. And for this woman, she's worth every drop of that perfume. Can I tell you, you know, for those of us that serve, I know Jesus is worth every minute we serve. For those of us that give, he's worth every pound and every penny he gave. And, and if he's worth it, we'll make it work. If he's not worth it, it'll never work. And that, that, that applies to, to, to the money, that applies to lifestyle, that, that applies to worship. Everything has a cost, but if Jesus is worth it, then we've got to be prepared to pay it. I'd invite the band back up and, and look at the last part of this message. It says, she knelt behind him at his feet weeping. Her tears fell on his feet. She wiped them off with her hair. She kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Do you know what? Worship's extravagant. Because when she started to pour that perfume out, she wasn't saving anything back for herself. She didn't give him a drop. She didn't give him the leftovers. It was, it was all or nothing. And she pours the whole thing on Jesus' feet. She brings her very, very best. 
and literally lays it at Jesus' feet. Not because she's expecting anything in return, because Jesus is worth everything she has. She's got this attitude of, do you know what? I'm going to do this properly. I'd love us to have an attitude when we look at mission and say, I'm going to do this properly. I'd love to have an attitude when we look at serving or or giving or using our talents to do things. We say, I'm going to do this properly. And and church, can I tell you, if we're going to reach our friends and our neighbors and our colleagues and our communities, if we're going to change the lives of our children, church, let's do it properly. And I want to encourage you this morning, whatever you do is an act of worship. If it's giving financially, if it's giving your time, if it's giving your talents, would you do it well? Would you bring your best? Would you bring what Jesus is deserving of? I'll finish with this last thing, and I think this is amazing because the bit I missed out a little bit was there's an illusion that this woman, uh, if I can say this, she's a prostitute, so she's an immoral woman. And and, and again, the two different stories in the, in the Mark narrative, it's, it's probably a bigger jar, but in this narrative, it's probably a smaller jar. Something she could carry around. And the reason for that was this perfume was for her. It was an investment into her profession, if you like. Because she would carry this perfume around and, and it was like her marketing strategy. You know, the nicer you smelt, the more custom you could pull in. And she would, she would kind of, you know, use one drop for one man and use another drop for another man and, and another drop for another man. And she comes to Jesus and she pours the whole thing out. Because she doesn't need it anymore. Because Jesus set her free. Her whole life. And she pours it out in response to God's goodness. And as a response to God's forgiveness after all he's done for me. Why wouldn't I bring my best? Why wouldn't I give him my time? Why wouldn't I give him a portion of my salary? Why wouldn't I use my gifts and my talents to, to serve him? Because why not? You know, I'd love to see a L'Oreal advert with Jesus on it. Because he's worth it. He's worth every minute. He's worth every, every hour, every, every penny, every, every pound. We, I wasn't going to say this, but we, we made an enormous fan. I'm not, don't, don't read here this way, I, I'm, I'm saying it. But to come here, we kind of gave up two full-time teaching jobs, um, Hannah was in senior management, I was in lower management, and we gave the lot up. Because he's worth it. And we've never looked back. We've never regretted it. We've never actually, you know, looked at, oh, look how it, this is hard and it, this is really costly because we've gone, no, 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 this, this is worth it. One of my favorite hymns. It's a hymn by Isaac Watts, and it starts with this line, When I survey the wondrous cross, on which the Prince of Glory... When I, and that word, when I survey, it means when I study, not just when I kind of glance at it, but when I study the cross, when I look at the cross with intent, when I, when I focus on the cross where Jesus gave his life for mine, where Jesus gave up his life so I could live, where Jesus died so I could be free. When I consider all that, it's all loss. Everything I could earn or achieve in this life, it is nothing compared to the life I have in Jesus. 
And Isaac Watts ends with these incredible lines, were the whole realm of nature mine. But what he's saying is if, if everything on earth, if everything in creation, if it all belonged to me and I gave it to God, it would still not be enough. Because God doesn't want it. Love so amazing. So divine. Demands me. And if we can get that, everything else follows. It demands my soul, my life, my all. The song says, when I survey, and this is how I want us to end this morning, is we've got a picture of the cross. I want you to take a moment to survey the cross. To look at the cross. This symbol of suffering, this, this symbol of unbearable pain, this symbol of torture, this symbol of disgrace. And I want you to ask yourself this morning, what's my response? What's my response to the one who went to that cross so I wouldn't have to? What's my response to the one who died so I could have life? What's, what's my response to the one who was captured and beaten and tortured so that I could be free? What's my response to the one who was broken so I could be made whole? What's my response to the one who gave it all for me? So that's the band to lead this hymn, and, and I'll, I'll close with this question. When we survey the cross... What's my response? Is it to give him my all? Is it to give him my life that I respond to his amazing grace, his indescribable love, to his uh, incredible mercy, to his, his, to his extravagance over us? Is my response to hold back? Or is my response to go, okay, God, it's yours. I'll give you the best that I've got, the best that I can bring, because he's worth it. Let me stand together. So, Father God, we come at the end of this morning with one focus the cross. Would you speak to us? Would you move us? Would you challenge us? that our response to the one who gave everything make it the response he deserves. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you for my new life. Thank you for redeeming me, for rescuing me, for restoring me. Thank you, you revived my heart. You restored my hope and you rebuilt my life. And I choose today to give you my all.